It's been um, over two months since I preached. So I brought my sermon notes with me. <laughs> and uh, it might take a little while to get through uh, my sermon notes. I, I probably could create a number of notes like this. Um, but um, I fear, have no fear, these are blank. But I have a full electronic copy right here. So. I left on sabbatical at the beginning of July with these words ringing in my heart and in your ears. The words from Paul Tillich, a pastoral theologian from another day and place and time, and he said this, as long as the preliminary transitory concerns are not silenced, no matter how interesting and valuable and important they may be, the voice of the ultimate concern cannot be heard. And over the course of weeks away, I return to those words, not every day, but every occasion, I return to those words over and over, worshiping in the open air at Copley Square, sitting in places of solitude and silence and retreat away from my family, in the sanctuary of our very first congregation in upstate New York on the top of Mount Monadnock, having communion with my brother-in-law, drinking coffee with my 88-year-old grieving mother, and riding a bike in sun and rain. And in that time, I think I heard the voice of ultimate concern in various areas of my life. But if the expectation after coming back from sabbatical is that now that I have come down from the mountain, though most of the time I was actually closer to sea level, or that I'm going to come down like a messenger from God with a flowing white beard. Now, my beard is whiter than it was a couple months ago, but it's not flowing, I don't think. The idea is that I'm now going to bring a new vision or a plan or a strategy from God. Then there will be those who will be probably, probably um, disappointed. Because you see, the vision is the same. It's his vision. Seeking to make followers and becoming devoted followers of Jesus. The plan? You know, the plan is the same. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The strategy? Well, the strategy is the same. Don't look for the strategy. You are the strategy. I am the strategy. We are the strategy to share God's hope wherever we find ourselves. Don't miss that part. If you get nothing today, get that part. You are the strategy. Don't go looking for some some um, hot new strategy, be the strategy. Be the strategy. So I think the question is not, what did I hear, but what did we hear over the course of this last couple months? What is the voice of ultimate concern you heard as you leaned into the words we left back with and I heard repeated in different ways through the summer from Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and for his word and in his word I put my hope. Voice of ultimate concern.
But I want to offer you a caution. You see, when we start thinking about the voice of ultimate concern, we have to be careful. And maybe this is one of the things I'm going to share at the top that I gleaned as I was trying to hear that voice myself. If our own welfare is of the greatest concern, without concern for the welfare of our neighbors, if our political views and opinions and making sure they're right are our greatest concern, if our fears are our greatest concern, if our material comfort is our greatest concern, if our personal success or how we appear to others, or making sure that life operates on my terms, if those things are our greatest concern, then there's probably a really good chance we're not going to hear God's voice of ultimate concern. So you see, this is what it requires. It, it requires, first of all, a place of humility and surrender and, and we're going to, believe it or not, get to that at the end of this series, which is now going to go through the end of October. But it requires what we're so lacking in our world. There is a famine of humility in our world. A famine of humility. It requires that. It, it requires that we stop. And it's easy to say, well, Pastor Jeff, you just spent sabbatical time and you stopped. Well, yeah, I guess I semi-stopped, I guess. But God's intention for us is that, as I heard Pastor Mary preach beautifully on August 29th, I think it was, that Sabbath's for all of us, intending us to pause. And if we don't have a space and a time to pause and hear from God, then we're too busy, aren't we? And I understand, I understand how life comes at us. But we need to stop. We need to seek God in prayer. And it doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual continuum. It doesn't matter if you're over here and you, you don't even have, understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ is about. Even there, starting to say, okay, God, what is that which concerns you most? Wherever you are on the spiritual continuum, wherever I am, it is to seek God in prayer and then to listen deeply to Scripture, especially to the voice of Christ. If you're not sure where to begin with that, just start in the Gospels and listen for the voice of Jesus. So listening to the sermons, you know, Pastor Jim last week said that he talked about um, binging Netflix. Well, I can promise you, you can ask my wife, what will never, ever happen in my life is I'll never binge Netflix. Ever. Ever. Um, but I, I was like him. I binged the sermons from the summer. I waited. My, my friend Russ Long, who you heard from a couple times, told me at the start of the sabbatical, don't listen to the sermons because that's going to be an issue of control for you. So you have, to, you have to just not listen to them. So every week I'm just kind of praying and I'm not listening. And I was listening to other people preach as well. But then finally it, just, it was too much and it was the last week and I, I just started binging and uh, my only thing I regret is I didn't have a big glass of milk and chocolate chip cookies to go with that. But I just, I just listened. Wow. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. As I listened to those sermons, it was clear that God has been speaking. Now here's my question. What did you hear? 
Over these next weeks, you're going to hear some of the things maybe I heard, but I'd like to know what you heard. What did you hear? What is God saying to you in your life? And that's not even something for me to know, but do you know? What has God said? So over the course of the next few weeks, I do hope to unpack some thoughts um, around the idea of what concerns Jesus. And based on some of what I heard, you'll hear some of those things. It's not going to be extensive. There's some things I'm not going to share, some things I'll share. And it'll be a work in progress, but I hope that in these weeks, we will together hear the heart of Jesus to our hearts. But let's begin in this place. Let's begin with this question. Did you know that Jesus needed to hear God's voice of ultimate concern? That Jesus Christ needed to hear God's voice of ultimate concern? Our passage today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, and this is the word of the Lord for us today. Why don't you stand with me? Just because... We just want to honor the word that's coming to us from his word. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. May we receive this word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if there, is, if there is any scene in the life of Jesus that offers us a glimpse into what I would call the penultimate voice of ultimate concern, this is it. Verse 22. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. We begin with the most significant voice of Jesus. It's the foundation from which Jesus himself lived and carried God's purpose in the world. And I think it's the same for us. Now, how important is this passage? How important is this word? Well, it's recorded in every gospel to begin with. It's also at the start of Jesus' ministry before he makes a name for himself and does anything miraculous or powerful. In fact, this happens right before he's launched into temptation and he faces rejection. This is significant. And in addition to all that, later on, right before he plunges into darkness of suffering, even the suffering of the cross, he hears this again in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He hears it again. Jesus launches out into the perils and pitfalls, the brokenness and the sadness, the sin and suffering of the world on one foundation. You're my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And I think we need to pause there. This is where the voice of ultimate concern begins, continues, and ends. This is the first and last and everything in between of a life devoted to God. This is the primary voice we must hear. There is nothing more ultimate than this voice about the love of God. Now, as we look at this passage, there's an awful lot that we don't fully grasp. For example, who heard this voice? 
Was this something everyone heard? Was it simply an internal voice to Jesus? We don't know, but what we do know is this. We do know Jesus heard it. And for the remainder of his life on earth, he functioned out of the assurance and knowledge of his identity as the beloved of God. And as I read scripture, it seems to me that God's great desire for us as revealed in Scripture, is to function out of that same assurance and knowledge. We can have so much right, but if we don't function out of this, it will go wrong if we don't have this right. It is why I think that this is repeated over and over in Scripture, isn't it? Just listen to some of these. A couple of these passages are lengthy, but just... Listen again to them. These are words that many of you are probably familiar with. And if you're not familiar with them, I invite you to look at them. In Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 37. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate, nothing can stop God from loving us. Pretty comprehensive there. And then you heard these words last week when Pastor Jim was preaching from Ephesians chapter 3. But hear them again. And I pray that you, now hear it, being rooted and established in love. Hear it? Rooted. Rooted. That, that speaks, and, and established, that speaks of foundation. That speaks of the source of nourishment and life. Rooted and established in love. You may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Isn't that interesting? That you would have the power to grasp the love of God. Nor anything else in all creation, he said before, the love of God. Nothing could stop that. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know this love. It's the idea of existential, experiential knowledge, experiencing this love, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 1 John 3, chapter 1. So, what great love the Father has lavished on us. I love that picture. That we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I think it's fair to say that the beginning and place of the purpose of God in our lives is not with what we do or even what we can know in our heads. I think it begins with this. You are the beloved. I am the beloved of God. And as others have asked, if this was so necessary and central for Jesus, why is this in this passage and this part of the life of Jesus? If this is so central for Jesus, is it not for you and me? So can you hear his voice to you today? Can you hear it? Steve Machia said this recently. We are so good at telling others God loves you 
but it is so hard for us to hear that for ourselves. We listen to other voices. That's the story of my life. Of hearing other voices and letting them become louder than this voice. Just being honest with you. What voices are you listening to? Are you listening to the media's definition of value? Or power? Or rights? Are you, are you listening to the culture's version of success? Am I? Or perhaps the expectations others have placed on you over years? Are you listening to your peers' version of acceptance? Are there voices, perhaps old tapes, that continually run in the background blocking God's voice to you and to me? Hear his voice again, maybe for the first time. Hear it again. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. If Jesus Christ needed to hear that, don't you and me? Can you and I launch from this foundation not based on performance, not based or conditioned on success, not measured by the standards of this world? You see, this is the voice. It is a voice for people who don't have it all together. I think, I think we should change the name of the church. We're the church of the people who don't have it all together. Right? People who struggle with doubts and fears, sins and failures, who live under the voices that tell us it's what we own or how much you have or how you look that matters. To us who live in that kind of world, which is all of us, you are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. Over the last couple months, I came across um, these words from Henri Nouwen in his book on spiritual direction. He said this, every time you listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It is like discovering a well in the desert to hear the voice of God's love. Notice what he said. He said, listen with great attentiveness. Well, that's really hard to do. I don't know about you, but for me it is. But now it goes on, and I would even say in our culture, because of the hyperactivity of our world in and of itself, because all that we have going on, the way we're bombarded by screens and choices and decisions and all that we have going on, it's so easy, it's so easy to not hear, and it's so hard practice great attentiveness. It's hard to do. But then Henri Nouwen goes on to suggest what he calls the beloved prayer to help nourish our souls in the love of God. And this is the beloved prayer. Jesus, you are the beloved. Jesus, I am the beloved. Jesus, we are the beloved. Now, I find myself embracing this new prayer exercise in almost a daily fashion, but I'm doing it based off of a, a writer by the name of Bill Gautier's suggestions. 
based on this prayer, one way to increase our attentiveness to God's voice of ultimate concern is this way. This is what Gottlieb says. Set your affections on Jesus as you praise him over and over. Jesus, you are the beloved. You know what, you know what that sounds like? It sounds mushy. It sounds weak. And yet we see in Scripture that the love of God is the most powerful, strong, courageous thing. Period. So if we start there, acknowledging, Jesus, you are the beloved. And just take some time and say that. Repeat that. And what comes to your mind when you say that? And say it to him. Then drink in God's favor as you repeat. He says, go to him and say, Jesus, I am the beloved. You are the beloved. I am the beloved of God. Say that to him. And everything that comes to your mind, even when you say, I'm saying it, Jesus, but I don't believe it. Be honest with him. But remind yourself that this is truth. And then thirdly, pray for people who come to mind. Are you ready? Here's the trick. Especially those people who maybe are enemies. Maybe there are people you don't like, people who are not like you, people who, when you think of them, it's really hard for you to think about praying for them. But then pray this. Jesus, that person is the beloved. What would happen if spouses began praying that for one another? What happens if parents pray that for their children? What happens if teenagers pray that for their parents? Jesus, my mom and dad are your beloved. Jesus, our son or daughter, you're beloved. Jesus, my neighbor who's driving me half crazy is your beloved. I know it's hard to believe, but he is, right? What would happen is, see, that begins to help orient us to God's voice of ultimate concern. And I think, this is why I think that's really important. There are implications for this in how we engage our world and how we engage others. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 1.22, and this isn't on the slides, love one another deeply from the heart. I think that is translated fairly to say we are to love what we have experienced. We are to love from what we have experienced about the love of God. I think there are real-world implications here. Here's what I mean. I wonder if at the heart of our caustic, angry, divisive, broken world, which so desperately needs a church that will reflect the love of God, I think at the heart of our caustic, angry, divisive, broken, hurting world is this the lack of knowing we are loved by God. I think it's that basic. Because when we don't know that, it's easy to look at another person as not a person beloved by God as well. And we begin to see them as something else, not someone else, something else. We begin to see them as nothing more than a threat to my securely held beliefs or a political opponent 
or we define them as an issue or an opinion, and then I don't see them as the one beloved of God. And once I don't do that, see, it's very easy then for me to objectify them as a thing. And I no longer have to love them. Because now, they're just an issue. Now, they're just someone who's not like me. There's something else. What happens if I begin to see that I'm the beloved of God? And if I'm the beloved of God, I mean, I mean, let's be honest here, folks. If Jeff DeFrancis is the beloved of God, we all know everyone else is the beloved of God, right? I mean, come on. And I begin to look at the world a little differently. Preston Ulmer is a Christian and a pastor. Well, he met a friend in a coffee shop, the owner of a coffee shop, who was an atheist. And Preston Ulmer and this friend began what they called the Doubters Club. And the purpose of that Doubters Club was to create a place where people can come together, Christians, agnostics, atheists, people of different political persuasions, people of different value systems, people of different religious beliefs, where they can come together and just be people joining in the journey of life together, welcomed and valued as people rather than seen as a religious threat to one's faith or an evangelism project. In fact, you know what the world's really looking for? They're not looking for a friendly church. People are just looking for a friend. A friend. They're not looking to be targeted. They're not not even looking necessarily for people to agree with them. They're just looking for people to be friends with them. So that's what they tried to do. Much like Jesus did when he gathered with the drunks and the sinners and the, and the people that Jesus had the greatest problem with, which was the religiously elite. When they said, you know, look at him, he's hanging out with the drunks and the sinners. Well, Omer makes this insightful statement about Jesus. He said, Jesus was not the loudest proclaimer of what he believed to be true but he was the busiest doer of what he knew to be love. He wasn't the loudest proclaimer. You don't see Jesus getting in the face of sinners. You don't see Jesus um, just like being rude and obnoxious and insisting on his way being right. Does he talk about the right way? Of course he does. Does he stand in objection to sin and the destruction it has in people's lives, he wept over that. Yeah, yeah, we get that. But Jesus was not the loudest proclaimer of what he believed to be true. He gave people stories and said, listen, this is the kingdom of God. And then he gave people the place where they could choose their path. But he was the busiest doer of what he knew to be love. Now, why is that? Why? You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I think that's why. 
Because he lived out of that identity. Which identity are you living out of? What am I living out of? He lived out of that identity. You know, over my course of time away, at one point I began to reflect on what it meant to be a life-giving life or a life-giving voice. Because no doubt, the voice of God to Jesus was life-giving. So it caused me to ask questions like this that I wrote down in my journal. You know, Jeff, are you a source of God's life-giving grace? Is my life a life-giving life to others because of the life-giving love of God to me? Think about that. That might be a question worth writing down. Am I a source of God's life-giving grace? Is my life a life-giving life to others because of the life-giving love of God? Do I see people as the beloved of God or do I see them as utilities for my use? Or opponents for me to tear down? That's what the Lord was saying to me. Now you're welcome to receive that as to you as well, but I'm just sharing with you what he said to me. Jesus was no doubt the most life-giving life to walk the face of the earth. I have come that they might have life. But I believe it's because his identity was rooted in the love of God. Bernard of Claveaux was a famous 12th century monk. He's famous for a number of things, but one of the things he's most famous for is his 86 sermons that he wrote on the Song of Songs. You need to understand, as he saw it, he saw it as pointing to the nature and the truth of the love of Jesus, metaphorically. Well, he writes these words. I'm looking for a person who loves God wholeheartedly, whose love for self and neighbor results from the love of God, who loves enemies and parents and spiritual leaders. Such a person can discriminate between what is important and what is not, what is lasting and what is passing. This person will be truly wise and exclaim, his banner over me is love. I, I know kids used to sing that song, his banner over me is love. You are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and in you I am well pleased, we need to hear God say, his banner over us is love. There is nothing more real than the love of God. And many voices are prone to hinder us from seeing that. But these words from Psalm 138 captured my heart over this season. Your faithful love lasts forever, Lord. Don't let go of what your hands have made. Don't let go, God, of what your hands have made. Your, it, your love lasts forever. It is real. Can I invite you to listen for this voice? Can we ask God to help us not only acknowledge with our intellect, but within our own hearts, this central reality, and it is a reality, that God loves you, he loves me, that God loves me freely and without condition, and that we are simply, simply loved as his children. Period. Because everything we do is determined by how we see ourselves. Everything we do. The way we treat other people will be determined by how we see ourselves. Everything we do. The way we engage the world, the way we treat others, finds its anchor point in this. And here's the good news. This is the really good news for us, is it not? Here it is. For God so loved 
the world. You can fill in the the rest. You can do it. For God so loved the world. That's where it starts. For God so loved the world. Brother David Vryhoff is a monk at the Society of St. John the Evangelist. He's also my spiritual director. And I recently heard him say this. This is the gift of God. It is not given because we have managed to make ourselves very holy or very good or we managed to get our act together so now God can love us. God simply loves us. Until we get that, and that can be the foundation of how we see ourselves, we will always be using other markers to evaluate our worth. Our achievements, our degrees, our salaries, our houses, our possessions, all those things will shape how we see ourselves, but all those things are passing away. The fundamental thing is, I am a beloved child of God. So you see, if you don't have your act together, if you find yourself facing struggles and doubts, if you're tempted to make the things of this world your ultimate concern, if you never feel you're good enough, there's a voice for you. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I wish I could tell you that I have this locked down, that I've mastered this, that somehow I've achieved the ability to always remember his voice of love as the voice of ultimate concern. That would be very less than truthful to tell you that. But what I can tell you is this, that I've seen in some ways more clearly how deeply I need to return to this again and again and again. It's like a good meal. My wife's an awesome cook. You know, she made some pretty good stuff this week. Does that mean I just say, you know that little sausage thing you made with vegetables and stuff? Don't ever make that again. That was amazing. It was delicious. Don't ever make that again, though. One time. No, I kind of wouldn't mind having that this week, too. Next week and weeks ahead. It's the same thing again and again, feasting on this truth of his love. I wish I had this locked down, but I see that I need to return to it again and again and again. One of my favorite vocalists is Matt Marr. I think he's one of the finest lyricists in our generation. Him and a guy by the name of Cody Carnes wrote a song. It's called Run to the Father. If you're driving by my house one day and I'm mowing the lawn and I'm on the tractor and I have my big old earmuffs on and it looks like I'm singing or I'm doing stuff while I'm driving my tractor, I'm probably singing this song or something like it. I want to invite you to hear these words afresh and in a moment we'll sing them. So I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again. And then he says this. You saw my condition. You had a plan from the start. Your son for my redemption, the price for my heart. I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand. I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you.
My friends, I don't have a context for that kind of love either. I really don't. How amazing it is. But all I know, all I know is I need Jesus. And all I know is that Jesus is the one. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about how real Jesus is. Very real, like he's right here with us right now, real. All I know is I need him. So can I ask you to join me in running again and again and again to the Father and hearing him say, you are my beloved. Fred, you're my beloved. That's what he's saying to you today, right? Denise, you're my beloved, right? Sal, you're my beloved. That's the word. Isn't that a good word today, right? Julie, you're my beloved. That's what he's saying to you. Jacob, you're my beloved. Jason, you're my beloved. Secret, guess what? He's, your, he's saying that to you today. You're my beloved, right? Margaret, you're my beloved is what he's saying. Can you hear that, Louise? Put your name in there. You're my beloved. Yes. This is the voice of ultimate concern. So where is it that you need to run to the Father? Where do you need the love of God to meet you in your life right now? How is it that this love, in a new way, you need to change your life? Just because your love, changing our desires, changing our wants, changing our attitudes, changing our postures. Oh, I just think it's so true. So what I'm going to do is as we sing this song, I'm going to sing, let's sing together. But you know what I'm going to do this morning? I'm going to run to the Father again. Did it last week, week before that, week before that. Yesterday morning, I'll probably do it tomorrow morning again. That is the voice of ultimate concern. As you leave, may you leave hearing, you are the beloved of God. You are his beloved son, you are his beloved daughter. May we go and may we live and may we walk and may we believe in the love God has for us. Thanks be to God.